Hello everyone, welcome to Ubi Estmia. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This episode is with W. Kamau Bell. W. Kamau Bell is a former Chicagoan, current Bay Area resident. You might know him as the host of the United Shades of America on CNN, returning April 30th for season two. He was nominated for an Emmy for season one, so very excited about that. You also might know him as an author. His book, The Awkward Thoughts of W. Kamau Bell, Tales of a Six Foot Four African American Heterosexual Cisgender Left Leaning Asthmatic Black and Proud Blurred Mama's Boy Dad and Stand Up Comedian, will be released on hardcover on May 2nd, 2017. I've known W. Kamau Bell for a few years. I'm a big fan, and I'm very glad that we had some time to talk. We talked in September of 2016. I wanted to sit on this until there was a release date for Season 2 of United Shades of America. That was announced this week. That's why you're hearing this episode now. Keep in mind, this was recorded in September of 2016. So there's talk about Charleston. That's why. There's talk about the Chicago Cubs potentially winning the World Series. That's why. I am a big fan of this episode. I think you'll enjoy it, even if you don't know who W. Kamau Bell is. Please listen. Without further ado, here's W. Kamau Bell. You didn't grow up in Chicago, but you spent some formative years there. I mean, it depends. I went to, I went to three years of high school in Chicago and then lived there after I dropped out of college, after a year and a half of college. So for me, like at the time, it felt like, you know, when you graduate from high school, it feels like a place where you grew up. So, you know, I mean, I certainly you know, spent a lot of time in Chicago uh, and and certainly at one point definitely considered it to be like if people asked me where I was from in other parts of the country, I'd say Chicago. And it wasn't until I was in the barrier for 10 years. I was like, oh, I think I'm from here now. And so, yeah. Why did it take so long to say you're from the Bay Area? There's absolutely no shame in saying the Bay Area. Well, no, now it's fine. I just, but at the time, it's like, you feel like an out, I felt like an outsider because I was like, well, I mean, I live here, but I'm from Chicago. And then at some point I realized... I think, you know, that it's just like I would, when I realized that I didn't want to leave the Bay Area, I was like, oh, I'm from here now. <laughs> like, like there, when I realized I wasn't going to move to L.A. or New York, although I did for a job, but like I realized this is where I want to live the rest of my life. And I was like, oh, I'm from here. And also I was born in Palo Alto, but I didn't grow up. I did, really didn't grow up out here. So I realized, oh, I'm actually really from here, you know. Got it. Uh, do you, did anybody grow up in Palo Alto? Uh, I think think people did, but I think they got moved out by Silicon Valley and gentrification. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Speaking of gentrification, uh, are you living in San Francisco? Jeremy Lin, apparently, you know what? Jeremy Lin, the basketball player, uh, grew up in Palo Alto, apparently. Really? Yeah. That's that's interesting. Yeah. No, I I talk about him in my my one-man show, so I realized, no, he's from Palo Alto. Uh, did Chicago ever feel like home or just because you went to high school there felt like you had to admit it? No, no, no. Chicago. I love Chicago. I still love Chicago. I love going back to Chicago. I probably go, I probably go, I mean, I don't go that often, but like two or three times a year. And one of those times I probably just sort of make it so that I can go. I don't need to go. You know, so it's like, I, you know, I perform there a lot. My best friend who from high school, Jason Smith, who owns a bookstore in Oak Park still, you know, so he lives there. I love to get back and see him. Uh, you know, I just did a, the last time I was there doing stand-up, I did a benefit for his charity at downtown, at a theater in downtown. So, uh, me and Hardy Kondabolu did. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I, you know, I, I did, uh, you know, yeah, I love Chicago. I would, you know, aside from uh, the weather, like I think, I, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. 
What's yeah, and I, and I love the fact that I, I love the fact that I am that I do have a lot of Chicago in me because Chicago's a good city. Chicago sort of is a good city to be like, yeah, I've, I've, I'm from that city. Like it's a, it's a great city to have spent a lot of time in and feel like you know it and to feel like yeah, there's Chicago pride that I have because I sort of feel like yeah, because a lot of people are afraid of Chicago, so I feel happy that I have no fear of Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Where did you go to high school? Uh, now it's going to be like you know the tough streets of the University of Chicago Laboratory High School. <laughs> Well, I I know this sounds weird to say, but like everywhere around the University of Chicago is still incredibly not safe. Yeah, no, I mean it's uh, it's yeah we're surrounded by the South Side of Chicago, and I certainly knew that growing up because there would be times I, when I got when I dropped out of high school and I still lived at my mom's because I was super cool. When I dropped out of college, I mean I lived at my mom's because I was hip and cool. You know, I had a job on the North Side, and I would get it was on Rush Street, and I would get it at like two or three o'clock in the morning. And I would take like the train back and you, mm-hmm. and the trains weren't great. I mean, you know, the train would, because it was late at night you weren't taking the same train. So I'd be dropped off like, you know, 20 blocks from my house, deep in the South side, I'd have to walk to Hyde Park. And certainly there was a clear difference between what was happening there and what was happening in Hyde Park. You could, you know, you could feel it. Um, you spent the majority of your adult life in the Bay area. Are there any similarities where, parts of Chicago are just seemingly never going to be taken care of in a fair and in a fair way. And, uh, San Francisco and Oakland seem to be gentrifying in a way that is not matched pretty much anywhere else in the country. So I feel like the, the neighborhoods that have just been overlooked completely in Oakland and in San Francisco, maybe now cost a lot of money and are completely gentrified where do you see what I'm saying or no? Yeah, no, I, no, I see, yes. I mean, the thing, the thing that I realized when I moved out here, like Chicago is what, like Metropolitan Air Chicago is like, or Chicago itself is like what, two million people, three million people, Something three million, and then like, like three million for the suburbs, so it's like six. Yeah, so it's like three million in the city, three million. Mm-hmm. San Francisco is still like not eight hundred thousand people. At least last I heard, it was like it was north of seven hundred thousand. So that's like, you know, Brooklyn. This is why I think about when I go to New York. Brooklyn, New York is two and a half million people. Like that's not even, and that's not even a city. Like it's just a borough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. The, and Oakland is like 300,000 people. So we're talking about between those two people, you, between those two cities, you have a million people. So the, just the geographical area is so much smaller that like everywhere in San Francisco can be high in real estate if they play it right. The city is, is 49 square miles. Yeah. And I think so it's easier for gentrification to come in and really quite quickly transform a neighborhood. And that's certainly true in Oakland too, because Oakland is not that far from San Francisco. And if you've got a Google bus, it's not that far from Silicon Valley. So it's very easy to sort of come in and change the you know, and I, I mean, you can drive around Oakland and still see parts that haven't been gentrified, but the question is yet. It's not like not that they're going to get there. It's where Chicago, you know, the south side and the west side, it's miles and miles. Like, it's so, you know, it's just like, it, and it's still the question is yet, but it's just a much further off yet. I mean, and, you know, there's just, there's, there's much more land there that has been left fallow and has not been, there hasn't been reinvestment in. And, and the feeling that when I was there and when I talked to people there is that people are letting, they're letting it go. So it becomes so fallow that eventually, well, we have to gentrify it. I want those friends of yours to be right, but I don't think they are. You don't think that it will be gentrified, you're saying? No, I think that it will just continue to just be overlooked and oh. not taken care of. And it'll just get worse and worse. I mean, I well, thought it would have been better you think that- in, in Chicago specifically, it's specifically the West yeah. Side and the South Side, um, it's like 49th and Indiana or something like that. Like, there's absolutely no reason why it, it it shouldn't be better, and people just overlook it. And then there's horrible tax associated with the city, and it's just really these pockets of 
uh, kids that have no fucking chance. Sorry, I swore, but it. it no, 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 no. I, I mean, I, I, I don't think I, I certainly agree with you. I certainly think I don't know. I just know that, like, you know, nobody could have told you. I mean, it, I, you, you couldn't have told black San Franciscans that, like, where they have they held Bayview Hunters Point was going to be a neighborhood for white people. You couldn't have told them that. Like you couldn't. Now the difference is it's a much smaller area, so it's easier to do that too. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's interesting. And so I think, and so I think it's not that I think it's going to happen tomorrow, but I do think that like at some at some point business interests start to go. They start to sort of work their way into these places, and then you look up and go, huh? I remember. I mean, I mean that's happened to me since I've been in San Francisco. There was an area of town, and again we're talking about a much smaller city. There was an area of town uh, that was used to be called uh, China Basin. Okay. And now it's called Mission. It's called now it's called South Beach and Mission Bay. <laughs> so, you know, when they start changing neighborhood names, you know it's like, uh oh. So, but it was called China Basin, and it was literally like no man's land. Like it was just all like old abandoned factories and warehouses, and like one coffee shop that served that was like we served nine different types of coffee, like some, and and, and a donut shop, and then and that was, but it was also where the train station was that took you to Palo, that takes you like south to Palo Alto and San Jose. And so occasionally I'd have comedy gigs where I had to get on that train and go south to like Palo Alto to do comedy gigs or something. And when I used to go down there, it used to be like two buses and you'd have to walk forever. And at some point they put the train down there and they go, oh, the train's down there. And then one day I went to that train, I went to that, the, to take the train south and it was like super easy to get there. And there was a, at that time there was a Borders bookstore there and a Safeway, which is a huge grocery store. And I was like, what happened? Like, you know, like it just sort of like it's like it dropped out of the sky. Now I didn't, I literally didn't, but that's how it felt. It was like it was a completely transformed space in a very short period of time, you know. And suddenly there's you know white women with yoga mats pushing baby strollers. Yeah. yeah. In an in an area where where in anywhere before they were like, well, we could bury Jimmy Hoffa here, or we could do it uh, somewhere else. <laughs> you know, so it's just like I think that it's not the I said that I don't wish this on on the struggling areas of Chicago. I wish there would be, you know, I wish I wish you guys had a mayor, uh, and I wish that the that mayor like you know was invested in really helping those areas and investing from the inside out so that you invest for the people who are there so that they can have more instead of investing instead of letting outside interests invest and, and take it away. Uh, but, you know, listen as a also a former Chicago, we have a proud tradition of having mayors for life that just sell out complete yes. community. So if anything. This is in brand with what we're doing. Yeah, this, yeah, no, it's definitely. I mean, I lived there during the. We moved. My mom moved there during Harold Washington because she wanted to live somewhere that had a black mayor, and then that lasted until he sadly passed away. And then there hasn't. I mean, there's been that interim guy, but there hasn't been an elected black mayor since. Yeah, um, that's not going to change for a while. Eugene Sawyer, I think his name was. Yeah, yeah. So, I think. I mean, Rom, it's just like. Go ahead. What do you think? I, I no. Rom's going to be mayor for life, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's just crazy to me. Daily, I Richard Daly, I understood because you know I sort of got like, well, this is legacy. You know, the, as weirdly as much as this country was founded to get away from the monarchy, we love a good monarchy. We yeah. love a good, you know, we, we love a good as we're you know we love a good royal couple as we find out with Brangelina. Oh no, not Brangelina. Uh, so, I, but so I guess I thought Daly like, well, this is just part of this legacy monarchy nonsense. But with Rom, I'm just like. It just seems easy to go. Oh, this didn't work out. Let's let's do somebody else. But yeah. as we know, no, that's not going to change. Money and politics, money and politics, corporate interests, flood of flood of you know. If you align the business interests with your with your political less political uh, interests, then you know, mission accomplished. I knew you before you had 
uh, a TV show on FX, which means I knew you before you had a show on CNN. But I always knew you as a comic that talked about race and social justice and didn't shy away from things that most people are afraid to talk about. Uh, now, you are an Emmy-nominated host uh, playing theaters and has a podcast with another comic that also talks about social justice and race and stuff like that. Is it weird going from uh, somebody that may not even want to say I'm a stand-up because you don't feel so good about that to, oh, uh, I'm this accomplished guy and now everyone talks to me about race and social justice all of the time? I, I mean, I think that the thing I feel now is that like, I didn't feel before is like last, I used to probably like when you knew me back then, I felt like I was sort of alone. And since then, and I was just really having to make up the answers as I went along. And since then, because I sort of have become known and because people have, I've, my work has attracted like activists and academics to me. I feel much more pre- better, good to say, I have no idea. Go, go, uh, go to blacklivesmatter.com. <laughs> you know, like, I, you know, go to colorlines.com. Uh, read, uh, read, uh, you know, Roxanne Gay. Like, I feel like I feel better about like, you know, or even other, oh, I don't know, ask Lindy West. Like, read her column. Like, I feel very good about passing those things along that I'm not sure about. Uh, so, you, I, yeah. Do you ever wish that you didn't do this? Do you ever wish that uh, you were just like, you know what, I'm going to do a tight five and try to get on Colbert, and that's it? Uh, first of all, luckily, I have been on Colbert. You were on Colbert, not as a stand-up. You were a, you were a, pan, you were a true guest. You were not I know. a performer. Oh, yeah, no, that's, I mean, I, but who doesn't, I mean, I mean for, I'll say this for me, I always... I, I mean, I love doing stand-up comedy, but there's something, but there's always something about the stand-ups who go on those shows where, unless the host really likes them and makes a big deal out of them, it's just sort of like, now we're gonna have a stand-up, and then the stand does their thing and they go, and it just sort of feels like it's really, you know, those stand-ups. You know, I've had friends who do great in that position and friends who don't do so great. Whereas if you're sitting with the host, you can go back and forth. Mm-hmm. It feels like you have like a, you know, you can like, oh, this isn't going well. Oh, we bought it back. Yay, we won. Like, you know, it's just yeah. thing. you can like really, you, it's like you're dancing with somebody instead of just sort of throwing jokes out into the ether. So, I, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm, you know, do I wish I could? I think yeah. I, I, there are times when the work that I do brings me down, but I bet there's times when Seinfeld wakes up and goes, man, it's so hard to talk about nothing. Like, I'm sure, like, you know, so I think everybody's work can sort of, but yes, this work is certainly, there's times where, like, just the, like, right now, with everything happening in Charlotte, it, you know, it's just the nature of what's happening. It's like, it, it's hard to think about myself sort of being funny about this stuff, but then also sometimes I've learned that, like, because of what I've established, people don't always expect me to be funny, so it, leaves, it gives me a little more room. And also, I've also learned that it's like nobody wants you to make the joke that's not ready to be made. What do you so mean? Like, if, like, so if I don't really think there's a joke there, then don't try to put a joke there because that joke's not going to be good at all. Okay. It's better for me to go into. It's better for me to go on stage and go, man, everything happening in Charlotte is fucked up. Here's some jokes about racial justice that aren't specifically about Charlotte, but are funny jokes. You know what I mean? So it's yes. like instead of like trying to piece together some joke. Like, people just want to know you're paying attention, and if you have a great joke, then do it. But they don't want you to sort of, like, two guys walk into Charlotte, and it's a bar. And you know, they don't want you to, like, like, they don't want you to crank out something crappy just so you have a joke, you know. So I think that I've – and sometimes I do wake up, and I see the news, and I'm like, oh, my God. But then I realize I don't have to talk about this if I'm not ready to talk about it. Do you think that anything has actually gotten worse or better in the last – I don't – I'm going to go with – 
two and a half, three years um, since this stuff is getting... Is it just magnified or are things actually getting worse? You know, we had uh, on, our, on my podcast with Hari Politically Reactive, we had Sean King, who writes for the New York Daily News. He's a racial justice writer. And he sort of had the point, he's like, people will tell you things aren't getting worse, but they were just sort of have more information. And he was making the point, like, no, things are actually getting worse. <laughs> so, like, it was, and weirdly, that was comforting. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think some, sometimes we do want to go, things aren't worse. They're, they're, things are fine. We're figuring, you know, da, da, da. But it's like, you know, and he, he pointed to things like the prison population, which was like 200,000 people in the 70s is now over 2.5 million. Like, that's mm-hmm. empirically worse. And I also think that, like, every time a person – Gets, uh, gets shot by a police officer in, under dubious circumstances, and nobody sees the police officer get brought to justice, that makes things worse. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's not like you just go, oh, things are just as bad because police officers are never being brought to justice. Like, no, every time it happens, no matter where it is in the country, and there's no justice from that, that means things are getting that's, – that's like another kick towards worse. So, like, I think that – but it doesn't mean that there's not good things happening, but it means that, like – and sometimes you do need to focus on the good things because it's hard to get through all the other things. But it does mean that, like, you can't take your eye off the ball and go, you know, uh, you know, well, you know, like with like when the unemployment numbers come out and they go, the United, like, unemployment's going down. You can't go, yay, things are getting better because it's like there's some people who've never had a job in that time and yeah. wanted one and and couldn't get one because they weren't because their public school education wasn't good enough and didn't train them to go to college. And then, uh, you know, and then they ended up working in fast food and you don't get paid a living wage. So then they're on food stamps while they work in a fast food job. The family. So it's like I can't tell them like, or, you know, or whatever it is, you know, it's like the, you know, they, they quit the job because they don't have, they can't pay for their car, you know, or whatever. Like it's just a whole series of nonsense. Is there anything that has remarkably changed, uh, be it approach to the stage or approach to the show since having children? Because... You've had the TV stuff since you've had kids, but not when you started. So do, do you feel like think the priorities have changed somewhat, or is it just more amplified and magnified? Or have you just learned these things don't really matter, these things really matter? No, I mean, I think having kids, as we'll do for most people with a soul and a conscience uh, and, 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 and blood in their heart, has totally changed my life. Like, it just, like, I just don't want to say that it's changed my life in any way that it doesn't change most parents' lives. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's, you know, my my first thought in the morning is about my kids and, you know, like, because it's literally like, okay, we're going to get up, got to get dressed. My, if I'm on the road, it's like, I miss them. Like, I hope they're okay. I got, you know, so there's, there's a sense that, like, absolutely, it becomes way more critical to, like, do good work for two reasons. One, good work that your kids grow up and see that our dad does good work and, and, is, and, and we, I want my kids to be proud of me. And also do good work so that you can put food on the table and give your kids what you want them to have. And also so they don't have to want for anything, you know. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so it's like I want socially responsible kids who hopefully have the freedom to be assholes like Paris Hilton. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> the only reason Paris Hilton or, or any of these rich celebrities or, or the Kardashians can be sort of like, you know, sort of like, you know, some these people can be assholes is because, they have they have everything they need. Now I don't want my kids to be assholes, but I want them to have the choice to be assholes. <laughs> so, I have to stop you there uh, for for one clear reason. Uh, Kardashian, they do some good stuff. Who else is talking about the Armenian? No, no, I wasn't. I actually wasn't. Kardashian is really Paris Hilton. I realized that reference is too old. I need a better yeah. asshole celebrity. Like we sort of moved through the debutante uh, phase of like the celebutante thing. But uh, you know what I'm saying. I so, do. Yeah, don't say Kardashian. I actually 
they actually <laughs> I'm not as hard on the Kardashians as most other people. No, because they do some good work. I'm not joking. They do stuff. What did you say? They do some good work. Like they raise awareness for the Armenian genocide. That's a good thing. No, no, that's what. No, I wasn't joking either. I yeah, wasn't joking either. Totally. I was saying. I, I said Paris Hilton, and I was like, that's oh, yeah. an old reference. And so my brain tried to come up with a new reference, and I was like, that's not really a good one. So, no, I see the Kardashians, are, they get a lot of heat. But I think, they, they, I think there's also a weird thing about them where it's like, you know, I, I, to me on a very, you know, I don't know if this is for the article, but if you back up from the way it is, a lot, of, a lot of women have had sex takes come out that they didn't want to be out in the world. Mm-hmm. And weren't able to figure out, well, how can I leverage this into something better? <laughs> like, you yeah. know, like, so, like it's, Good for them. Not that I want, yeah, not that I want, not that I'm saying I want that to happen to any woman. And I, that I say that, like, you know, but a lot of people give her grief over that. And I feel like, what's about the side of this? It's like, how did she leverage that into something that, that has left her here, but the dude who was in the tape with her has been long forgotten? Mm-hmm. You, know what, you know what's beautiful about the Kardashian thing, too? Uh, she's still slut-shamed. Uh, she's a loving mother of two with a supportive husband. What's so, like, <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, so I don't, that's so, yeah, like, that's why, like I said, the Kardashian, like, that's, I, don't, I just couldn't think of, like, who's another good, because Paris Hilton disappeared, too. But anyway, that's my, yeah. my main point is, uh, I want my kids to be good people who aren't struggling. And so like, and so having, and also that means, which means I'm working way harder now than I would be working if I didn't have two kids. Like, I think if I had, if I didn't have two kids, I might only have one podcast instead of three. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I might not, I might not be right. I might not be working on a book and a television show. I might not be, you know, and, and releasing my new CD. Like, I think I would be sort of like, you know, there'd be more time to like kick it. I don't have a lot of kick it time. Yeah. Um, I know we got to wrap up soonish, so just a few more, I promise. Uh, what's the name of your friend's bookstore in Oak Park? The Book Table. It's two words. Book the table. Book Table. It and was and like, where is that? Let's give that a good plug. It's in Oak Park. Is it off the blue line or the green line? Uh, I'm going to say it's the green line. It's on Lake Street. Like, it's on the main street in downtown Oak Park. It's across the street from the movie theater. If, if you're in Oak Park and you know where that movie theater is, it's right there. It's the Lake Theater. I worked there a lot as a teenager in high school. It is off the green line between Harlem and Oak Park. Get off at either stop. That's right. It's right. It's right. And it's uh, in that neighborhood. Everybody knows that bookstore. Yes. It's been there for him and his wife own it. It's been there for, like, at least 10 years and... It's a it's a hardcore independent bookstore that they keep expanding to bigger and bigger spaces as more stores go out of business. <laughs> so like it's a, well, part of that's and fantastic. He, and it's uh, and it's uh, and he's got a. What'd you say? Part of that is fantastic. It's good that they're expanding. The reasons behind it are very sad. Yes, yes, but yes, they are. But they are they are definitely a independent bookstore in the 20th century, which is like you know that's a big deal. Um, finally, uh, do you have any? Let's end with something fun-ish. Um, you were part of the Emmys, you got to go to the Emmys, um, and you actually went to the Emmys that I care about much more because you got to see RuPaul, and uh, no offense, RuPaul's Drag Race is the most important show on television, once again, no offense. I don't know if you watch it, but holy shit, please consider (laughs) it. I mean, to be honest, I I don't have a ton of time to watch things, so I don't watch a lot of things that people think I would watch, but certainly I know that that's a show that exists, and I think that, you know, I'm of the age where I remember where RuPaul was just like this weird sort of like this sort of this, you know, this weird sort of half a celebrity that had like a half a hit, that had like a hit song, and you're like, good for that person's 15 minutes of fame. And so to mm-hmm. sit there in that room, and not that I was condescending to RuPaul, but it just seemed like you know, like Right Said Fred also had a hit song in the 90s. You know what I mean? So like nobody saw this that we would be dealing with RuPaul as a as like a like an 
a spokesperson and a and a and a and a calming voice amongst the noise and and somebody that people go to to go, can you help me explain these complicated times? And RuPaul is that person. And I really, uh, I you know, it's funny to be proud for somebody you don't even know. Like I think I met RuPaul once, but it was proud for somebody that I don't even know. But just feeling like the world is good that we celebrate this person. That means this this world is not as bad as it could be. And all I'm saying is, you're probably working on season two right now. Uh, we there. I think it, we're sort of working on working on it. So I mean, it still hasn't been announced yet, but. You know, I, I feel very positive about it. <laughs> so, like, that's where we're at. Yeah, I think once you get an Emmy, they give you another season. So, or, or an Emmy nomination. Yeah, it's just, it's just, just the showbiz is complicated. So, but, I, you know, we're, I, I have good feelings about it. If I was a Magic 8 ball, I'd say science point to you. Uh, clearly, you're going to get it. I'm willing to say that. Uh, but I'm also a Cubs fan willing to say they're going to win the World Series. So, we'll take the, the grain of salt. Okay. Yeah, uh, exactly. I think Maybe, that a RuPaul this year, this year, this year is look, looking good as it has been for a while. Yeah, I think a RuPaul episode. All I'm saying is that's uh, that might be a good uh, episode. Maybe even do a double, do a part A with you and a part B <laughs> with Bourdain, or switch it up. I'm just saying that could be fun. Well, you know, I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to do it. I think I got to move up the food chain a little bit. Although I did finally, it's funny to be on CNN with Bourdain, and I had I met him at the Emmys. He won. I, I did not. But he actually said, we got to do something together. So I think that would be amazing. So let me start there. Let me do the, the United States Bourdain crossover episode, and then we'll see what happens. I think that would be very, very, very good for both of your crowds. That's all I'm saying. Uh, I, I think would be, I would like his I mean, show a little bit more. I already like your show. I don't see a problem with this. <laughs> I would be, I'd be super happy and excited to be a part of it. So we'll see what happens. If you would like more information on W. Kamau Bell, follow him on Twitter. It's at sign W. Kamau Bell. He mentioned his other uh, podcast, Politically Reactive. You could find that at WKamauBell.com. Once again, his show returns to CNN for Season 2 on April 30th, and his book is available on May 2nd. My name is Brandon Weatherby, and I co-wrote a book called The Donald, How Trump Turned Presidential Politics into Pro Wrestling. Find that at PresidentWrestler.com and or DonaldTrumpIsAWrestler.com. You could find it on Amazon and listen to the audiobook on Audible and on iTunes and any place on the Internet that you can buy and find decent audiobooks. So... Follow me on Twitter. It's at sign YMTE. Follow this show on Twitter. It's Ubi Estmia Pod. And we are on Facebook. Put in Ubi Estmia and you will find us. Our theme song is by Daniel Knox. And our art is by Dmitry Samaroff. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful night. <laughs>